Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Brothers and sisters, it's great to see everybody here for our uh, study in Leviticus at Christchurch Jerusalem. The Lord is present. And for all those people who are listening, and it's actually quite a lot of you, okay? Um, we, we're uh, up to about 100 uh, subscribers to this study. Uh, sorry, 400 subscribers to this study. So, brothers and sisters, let's, as we wrestle and study, let's acknowledge that we also have an opportunity to speak to our brothers and sisters out there, and that's a delight. Well, the Lord be with you and also with you. Jennifer, can you pray us in? Sure, be happy to. Most gracious Father, we just thank you for this opportunity where we can still get together and still freely worship you and still freely study your word. We ask for your uh, special touch upon our brother Aaron as he brings the word today. And Father, you can use crack pots, <laughs> so you can use any of us to share your word with those around us. We thank you and praise you for this time as we just humbly come before you and ask that you would open our ears, our eyes, our minds, and our understanding for what you would have us to learn today. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. And as is our tradition, we go over our summary from last week where we finished off Leviticus 20 and uh, mainly had to do with sexual immorality. And so our summary as follows, hopefully the, um, the PDF is attached for all those who will be able to download it. I'll just put it again in chat just in case. All right, here we go. Our summary from Leviticus 20, 10 to 27. Sexual immorality has plagued mankind since the creation of male and female. Of all the sins that man can do, Immorality gnaws at the heart of society and destroys it from within. As a holy nation, the punishments for transgression into immorality were thus quite strict for Israel. Other ancient cultures also understood the social consequences of immorality and likewise they imposed severe punishments. For example, adultery in Israel and in Mesopotamia both ended in the death penalty. In terms of applying the practical retributions for immorality, literal history says that the death penalty was actually rarely carried out. Now, there were several reasons for this. The first was the requirement for two or three witnesses, not an easy legal obligation to fulfill in many cases. The second was a movement to monetary compensation something that we see in our present-day legal system. Although rarely carried out, the death penalty does convey the seriousness of immorality and the ideal of holiness that is required by the Lord for his people. Sexual immorality is included in the four laws of Acts 15 given to Gentiles who are joining the Commonwealth of Israel, the new Jesus movement. As a holy people, we too are held to a high ideal, and immorality should have no place in our community. Adultery, incest, animal relations, and homosexuality are grouped together to receive the same punishment, as they are in the pagan nations of the ancient Middle East. 
However, a unique aspect of biblical holiness is the category of promiscuity or harlotry. Consenting immorality by a woman while living in her father's house brings disgrace and shame upon the father. If the father is a priest, then the punishment is most severe, the punishment of burning. The Lord condemns the Canaanite peoples for their immersion in all forms of immorality. Apparently, their society had reached a zenith of immorality at the time of the conquest by Joshua. And the death penalty was thus enacted by the Israelites as God's agent in judgment. God admonishes Israel to heed the example of the Canaanites and obey him, or the same fate would befall them. Immorality connects to both the soul of man and also to the earth itself. Leviticus reminds us again of the connection between sin and the world. Should Israel forsake holiness and embrace immorality, then the land will react negatively and it will vomit them out. And this is a deep spiritual principle so often overlooked by modern exegetes. Whatever territory mankind reigns over, it is affected by his character. One of the first commands given to Adam was to dominate or subdue the earth. Not in a harsh totalitarian way, but in a controlled, concerned and caring way. If mankind becomes inwardly polluted and corrupt, then the very ground itself will become polluted and corrupted, and it'll react. God declares again that he has called and separated Israel to be holy and different from all the other nations. The people of God are to live by a code, and that code is holiness. It is a light to the world and attractive to the Gentile peoples. Israel has an important role in the plans of heaven, and that includes more than simply preserving the word of the Lord, keeping the prophecies, and guarding the lineage of Messiah. Israel is to present the call to holiness to a fallen world. Holiness is part of the relationship that we have with the Lord himself. For, as Paul reminds us, without holiness, no one can see God. Other ancient nations had technology. They constructed monuments and empires. But Israel, they had morality. What should be our response then to the instructions of holiness in Leviticus? A simple response would be to be the readers and doers of the word. Passivity is not holiness. <laughs> Silence against evil is an affirmation of that evil. Now, in our discussions of the text, we ask the question, can you legislate holiness? We noted that laws in and of themselves do not inherently make people obey. Obedience is a learnt behaviour and ultimately is sourced from the heart of the worshipper. Do you or do you not want to follow the teachings and instructions of God? Yet this does not require us to be passive under a corrupt and immoral government. We can and should lobby for moral laws. We should endeavour to present the truths of the word of God, even to a secular government. The benefits of doing so far outweigh any of the disadvantages. Secular laws over time continue to change and they drift away from the ideal of God. They never drift towards the ideal of God. Only away. And when this inevitably happens, as it has happened in the past, 
How should we behave? The law of God, his Torah, should be on our hearts and put in practice through the help of the Spirit. And this can be done under any regime, and it does distinguish or separate us from the unbelievers. We do not walk in the ways of the world, but as a holy people. Holiness is an inherent part of the process of salvation. Unfortunately, there are no quick fixes for a walk of holiness. It's a journey with many pitfalls. But it's a journey made in community, a journey of spiritual formation and discipleship, and it's a journey made with the Spirit of God. Now, Leviticus 20 ends once again with the prohibition against seeking oracles from necromancers and magicians. And this reminds us that immorality is linked to the realm of the spirit world. At its essence, immorality is lawlessness. The spirit world is led by the man of lawlessness, the one who has thrown off the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, and he leads the whole world astray. Instead, let us pursue all that makes for a holy, pure, and righteous life. And so now we turn to the holiness of our priests and our shepherds. Leviticus 21. I'm reading, guys, from an ESV. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister, who is near to him because she has no husband. For her, he can make himself unclean. He shall not make himself unclean as a husband among his people and so profane himself. They shall not make ball patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their body. They shall be holy to their God, and they will not profane the name of the Lord their God. For they offer the Lord's food offerings, the bread of their God. Therefore, they shall be holy. They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to his God. You shall sanctify him, for he offers the bread of your God. He shall be holy to you. For I, the Lord, who sanctify you, am holy. And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself, by whoring, prevents her father. She shall be burned with fire. The priest who is chief among his brothers, on whose head the anointing oil is poured, and who has been consecrated to wear the garments, shall not let the hair of his head hang loose, nor tear his clothes. He shall not go into any dead bodies, or make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. He shall not go out of the sanctuary, lest he profane the sanctuary of his God. For the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is on him. I am the Lord. And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a widow, or a divorced woman, or a woman who has been defiled, or a prostitute. These he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people, that he may not profane his offspring among his people. For I am the Lord who sanctifies him. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near 
a man blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease, or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offering. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come near to offer the bread of his God. He may eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the most holy things, but he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar, because he has a blemish, that he may not profane any of my sanctuaries. For I am the Lord who sanctifies them. So Moses spoke to Aaron and to his sons and to all the people of Israel. All right, so this, uh, this section has a, a lot to do with uh, priests, leadership, our shepherds. Okay, so based on a literal reading, what do we notice there, guys? What we notice is that it sucks to be a Kohen. <laughs> yes, there you go. You got everybody, we're doing fine. We got to chapter 20. Okay, we're going to be a holy people. And then we just dump even more uh, on the Kohenim. Yeah, sorry, buddy. Yeah. Vida or David, hand raised. Oh, it's just a question I have. In verse, in verse 22, it says that for I, the Lord, we sanctify them. And he's just told them that any people with blemishes can't come before him. But God sanctifies them. So surely sanctifying is being made clean. I just find it quite strange that God sanctifies them and makes them this clean, and yet none of them with these blemishes obviously can come before. And we know it points to Lord Jesus and all that. But here it's saying those that are, are got these defects can't come, but God sanctifies them. So is, is something clean the same as something with a... Uh, without a blemish? Or can things that have a blemish also be clean? Because ultimately, surely it's the heart condition that would count more than just a broken foot before God, if, that, if you understand what I'm saying. So surely somebody who's coming with the wrong attitude or, or profaning God or not, you know, like getting drunk and things like that. You know, it, it, for me, it's just very strange that it's the outward things that God's concerned about here. Right. A lot of this does appear to be on, on the outward. I mean, we've dealt with some inward stuff previously, but here does have a fair bit of outward look to it. Absolutely. Everything has to be perfect for God. Yes. His, the image that God is presenting here is that um, if anybody comes and looks at his temple, it's going to see something perfect. Imagine if, if, you know, the Romans went to Jerusalem for the very first time and all of the temple was full of lepers. What would they think that uh, the God of Israel is, a God of? Lepers. Yeah, lepers. And so it's not that lepers aren't loved by God. That's not what we're saying. But God is more than disease. He's, he's, he's what people should aspire to, perfection. Right. Yes. And so here's an interesting thing. Even though we, the, we are the holy people of God, Yes. Yes, we've been called to be holy. Are we perfect? No. no. Are our hearts always correct? No. Do we, do we do things wrong? Yes. But how should we behave? What image should we present to the Lord, to the world, sorry? Right? You know, it, do we present uh, an image that says, oh, we're a bunch of sinners, so we're just going to keep sinning. Woo! Come and join the church. Or 
do we do we say yeah we're actually fallen creatures but these are the following things that we actually still find actually unacceptable we can't do this we can't do that we do do this we do do that but if we're walking with the lord we have to walk in we're in with the lord we have to be as good as we possibly can be well one would hope so <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah i mean we try well, yeah it, 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 we're human we, we aren't correct we fail we fail we're not gods yeah, but this is talking about a leadership role. This is talking correct. About- these, these are what, what what this chapter is about leadership. Correct, Sharon. This one's now about leadership. So let's switch our conversation and 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 talk about our shepherds. And uh, and eventually we're going to have to ask uh, Mordecai, who is a Cohen. Okay, how do any of these laws relate to you today in terms of literalness? But then also take it towards our shepherds because sometimes along we actually drop the ball. On, uh, on, on keeping our shepherds accountable. And uh, we end up with some very, very interesting shepherds. All right, we've got a bunch of hands raised. So let's go to Rocky from uh, Washington State. Yes, hello, everyone. Um, yeah, I just was wondering, is this the, uh, we only burn women? We only burn women? Yeah, is it, was it oh, your... Yeah. Uh, you had to burn the burn the girl with fire if she's uh, not doing the right thing. I don't know. Yeah, there was a a, fa- a fair bit there on uh, on the on the women. Although that doesn't mean that the the men got got off scot free. But the text does give us some some warnings on our on our girls. I think um, it's it's talking about prostitution, and um, uh, it's almost um, a feminine thing. I mean, men don't well in that sense don't do prostitution. I mean, you don't have men standing on the streets and soliciting for um, something like that. Right. Well, they might be there because the men are soliciting. <laughs> That's why they're actually on the street. Because if there's no, there's no will, there's no need, there's no, there's no babe, hot babe on the street. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but um, still, the, the job is not a... A masculine job, <laughs> you know. The, the real bait itself is the woman, you know. That um, that causes the problem, you know. Um, but not to justify the men, because um, you still see that you still see that in the New Testament, um, two people were caught in the act, and nobody was asking about the man. You know, even Jesus didn't ask about the man, and I, I don't know why. And, and it's very strange, you know, that um, in that case of Jesus. Um, they brought this woman to Jesus, and um, Jesus didn't say, okay, where's the man that is caught with her? Jesus asked them the question that, um, you know, who has no sin should cast the first stone. But, but, but women, women aren't priests, are they? It's the men who are the priests, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes, the men are the priests. Um, because now we, uh, what Rocky was calling out there is that the, the, the father um, of a daughter, I mean, the father to a daughter that becomes a prostitute, the father, the, the daughter is burnt because um, she has polluted or kind of um, disgraced the father. But he didn't talk about men in that same wise. That um, what of the men that, you know, do the same thing to their father? What was going to happen to them? And um, that's, that's, the, that's the point that Rocky just pulled out there. And I was trying to say that um, um, he's talking about prostitutes and... Um, men don't play that role for prostitutes. Maybe that's why he was just a bit silent about the men and I'm not trying to justify what the men can do and not do in that case, but it's a bit silence on the men, yeah. 
couple of other hands raised. Peter or David? Aaron, I was, I was just thinking there's two things. I know this, this is focusing on the, on the, on the Kohen, on the, on the priesthood, but what I found it interesting is that here you couldn't approach anything with a blemish, right? You have a problem. And yet first point in our church today, we can name a number of people who have these kind of blemishes, right? Who are cripples, who are who are disabled, etc., 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 and even to the point where we have both male and female priests, right? Uh, that's a question I have to ask: is how do we fit that into what we're doing? But when I look at Lord Jesus, right, what I do see is I see all of these things that are considered taboo back then as running towards Lord Jesus. I see a man saying. Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. I see a lady with an issue of blood wanting to touch him and become clean and holy. It's, it's like back then it was taboo to go near the stuff, but yet the minute Lord Jesus comes, everybody runs to the clean. Does it make sense? Sure. Let's also remember this is the priesthood that's sitting around the tabernacle and temple. Yes. Now, if this is, this is not a synagogue, and this is not, you know, uh, 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 another sort of community centre. Let's just pretend that we construct the temple in Jerusalem today. What sort of priest would we put inside it? Well, I have an answer for that. Go for it. <laughs> Moti. We'd put Moti in there. They'll put Moti in there. That's right. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I had this discussion yesterday with Uri, you know, Aaron, who Uri is about being yeah. a Kohen, and he told me, all the ex-Haredim claim to be Kohens. How do you know that you are a Kohen? So I told him, look, because of the hope of the third temple, Jews, since the destruction of the second temple, they kept the records very well. Now, if you go ask a regular Israelite, he would probably not say that he is from tribe of Yehuda, tribe of this, because he cannot know it. How would he know it? Because there's no record about it. All he can know is if he's Jewish or not, right? But for the Kohens and the Levis, they're rabbis, rabbinic Judaism, right? rabbinic Judaism that we are living in now, they kept it very well and very clear according to this law by tracking down the wives of the Kohens, the sons of the Kohens, until this day, because of that hope that they have, the hope of the Temple, so they keep it. So they believe if the Beit Mikdash, I mean, of course, there are debates on it. Some say it will come from like Shamayim, like a fire. One day you will wake up, you'll go to the roof of Christchurch. Wow, you will see the temple over there. Some say, no, we will build it. So nobody knows how it will happen, but it will definitely happen. And for that reason, they keep the Kohens and Levites like recorded. And if it happens, they will ask Kohens and Levites to go and lead it. They're, for this very reason, they have established this institute called the, the Temple Institute on the way to Kotel. You've probably seen it. They used to practice. I, I was there for three months when I was like 16 years old. I studied there how to offer sacrifices, how to put this uh, Kohen things up. You need a special letter from your rabbi that proving that you are a Kohen so you can go. Of course, these are the things, but I mean, if they can prove, but how many coins are there? I think not, not more than 70,000 today. Okay. Yeah. So the same same family will take care of it. The same family, right? Yeah. Yep. Same clan. All right. Teresa from London. 
Um, I don't want the, to digress really, but I just, I'm sorry, I have to just come back on Shimshon's point because I have been in the situation, well, not in a situation, but I have observed um, men driving very slowly in their cars looking for prostitutes. I mean, that was years ago, but they still do it, of course, and they still go to the brothels. So in a sense, it's a both and service, isn't it? The women provide the service, but the men keep it going by paying. Right. And so you know, I just wanted to balance it. That's all. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I have to because I suffered from that when I was a teenager. You know, it was scary walking home because you'd hear this car coming slowly up the road and you were never sure if they get out and push pull you in you see it was really quite frightening so yeah and I know we're talking about Cohen I understand that but of course as we know clergy are not beyond um getting involved in such matters that's right there's a my case <laughs> no no don't have to rest your case there the in within the the the, the clergy around the world there is a high prevalence of pornography Mm-hmm. And we all have to, and we also, Christchurch, um, as part of our Mercy Fund, uh, works with a group called Red Carpet, which is helping prostitutes in Tel Aviv, and, uh, and particularly the children of prostitutes in Tel Aviv. Um, the, uh, what's interesting in Tel Aviv is that 25% of the patrons who, who go to these prostitutes are actually Orthodox Jews. Right? And uh, so, what, what, what this is to say is that we're not all clean. However, what we have here is we have a, we have a chapter that says, actually, when I, when I have some clergy, when I have some people who are actually supposed to be the shepherds, I'm actually going to hold them to a slightly higher uh, level. Now, we know that the Lord in Exodus 20 has said, no, you're all a kingdom of priests. Okay, I get it. Yet at the same time, we create these, these, this, this group of people called Cohen and Levites. And there's a special group of people who have a special job. And we've been studying some of them. And we're all called to be a holy people. But within that calling, there are these shepherds who are supposed to be good shepherds. And they've actually got this, this extra special slash calling. And I guess probably this is one reason why in the, in the epistle of James, he actually says, you know, be careful if you are a teacher. You're going to be held to a, a higher account, um, and uh, and 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 as and as we study this, perhaps we should actually be asking of our shepherds, "Hey, you know, you're actually supposed to be a bit holier than me." <laughs> I mean, we're all supposed to be holy before the Lord, but but you in particular, man, you got a you got a special job. There's there's a, there's a, there's a blessing that goes comes with it. There's also a responsibility. Um, Sharon from Quebec, is that right? Right on. <laughs> Life is beautiful here. La vie est belle. Uh, I'm just thinking and with respect to what David was saying, um, because he had been, de- and what Maudie was saying, because he had been dedicated by the anointing oil of his God, I am the Lord. You know, that part of that verse in verse 14, mm-hmm. uh, 21, 12, I should say. And also just because with respect to what he was saying at the beginning, like I think the gene pool too, there's sort of a case that can be made over time where at the beginning of time with Adam and Eve, the gene pool was better. So with respect to, you know, people that were, you know, had infirmities now versus then, there's probably a lot more as the gene pool has been degraded from generation to generation. Have you guys heard that through like creation sites and stuff or? Yeah, sure. Yes. The, the degradation of our, of, uh, of the gene pool. Yeah. More of us wear glasses than ever before. More of us have uh, various genetic uh, faults. 
it's it's a thing. It's. And the only other comment was just that, that youth now, it's up to, I think, 85% because of the advent of cell phones that between 12 and 13 years of age, kids have access, direct access to pornography now, where before you had to, you know, in Canada, go into a store and stand before a person and go on the upper shelf and get the X-rated movies versus now it's just direct access. So the human nature can really work. work yeah. Hard. Yeah. The wonders of modern technology freed us from some things and chained us to others. Yeah. Okay, Shimshon from Nigeria. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Um, still on that um, uh, topic, um, I want to see it more to the Cohen. It's it's kind of um, asking the Cohen to be more um, dedicated at home too, because especially for the leaders in the church, um, people get you get involved with other people, you try to cancel other people, then you kind of neglect your own home. Um, that, that I, I watched the movie, um, The Bishop's Daughter, and you know, it kind of kind of reflects um, the kind of situation we have because how could it happen that a, a Cohen's daughter will become a prostitute? You know, it's as if the Cohen is not teaching what he's teaching um, in the synagogue, he's not teaching yeah. it at home. So it's more on the Cohen itself, himself, and um, um, less on the daughter, it's for him to be responsible at home. And um, some of that thing I, I just saw very interesting is uh, verse eight of that um, chapter we just read. It, it talks about the people sanctifying the priests. He said, thou shalt sanctify him therefore, for he offered the bread of thy God. And he says, he shall be holy unto thee, for I the Lord am the one that sanctify you. So God is sanctifying and we have some other kind of responsibility to sanctify the leadership, to, 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 to give them that, um, that, um, you know, um, not the same way God sanctifies us, but, you know. We just lost uh, our, our brother from Nigeria there. But I want to say that he brought up a very good point. So many times as we've seen through the text, particularly in Leviticus, but many others, there's a partnership that earth has with heaven. And God sanctifies the priests. But we, as the people, also need to gather our kohanim and our shepherds and actually try ask them also to be holy and to help them and support them. And, uh, and, and so that's it's part of our responsibility, which we see in the text here as well. Okay, so while we wait for Shimshon to come back, let's go to Moti or Dan from uh, sunny Jerusalem. Sunny Jerusalem is like so hard, we're melting down. So here's the thing. I just want to say something to what you say about this 25% Orthodox Jews. So Orthodox Jew doesn't, necessarily mean uh, Haredi. So when, when we say Orthodox Jew, please don't imagine a guy with cowboy head with long pearls going in a line with prostitutes. I'm not defending them, but Orthodox Jew basically means who keeps Shabbat. And they have this term in Israel to like when they refer to these Orthodox Jews, they refer to them as Shomer Shabbat. So like, like who keeps Shabbat. So they are Orthodox because they keep the Shabbat and the Halakha, but they are not ultra-Orthodox. When we talk about Chabad, Bel, Satmar, we are talking about ultra-Orthodox. In this case, I don't think, I mean, besides Nachman guys, because there are a lot of things about them, when they go to this uh, celebration in Ukraine, uh, they probably go and have a worldly taste too, I don't know. But for this Hasidim and Haredim, please don't think that they are just lining up in these things, because by even by their appearance, they cannot do that, you know? Their appearance limits their acts. And just as want to say this, 
Yeah, I just wanted to say this. I don't know. All right, thanks, Martin. David Ovida. What I'm trying to figure out is, is there, is there a deeper message here? Because if we take it, as, as we've been discussing on the level of we have to be sanctified, we have to be perfect as we represent the Lord God to people, right? As the, I'm talking about the priests. I'm not talking about me. I'm just a little servant down the bottom, but you guys, you priests, right? Here, here's the question I have to ask, right? If that priest, whatever denomination they are, has a sickness, has a disability, right? Is that going to represent God correctly today? Because, or is it going to say, oh, hold on, hold on a second. I thought your God healed. Why are you walking around sick and still preaching, etc.? Is Is this not a problem if we look at it from that perspective? It's a good question. And, and, um, and this would be probably a challenge that we would get from the, the secular world, the skeptic world that would look at us and go, oh, you're supposed to have a Holy Spirit and you're all supposed to be here, but what is all going on here? So a good question. Um, but uh, it's a good question. So then is perhaps what, the, what this passage is saying, although on that level that there is an absolute perfect level that this has been speaking on, that the, the high priests have to be, um, the priests have to be perfect in their physical appearance to serve God, is it not really pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the one that is going to make that atonement, which is Lord Jesus? Is that not really, who is perfect, who is without spot and blemish, who is, is, is that really ultimately what this is pointing? On, on one level, absolutely, yes. And if we pick up what Vera is saying there, because I, I've been pondering from that perspective we've just been talking on, is that, at the end of Jude, in the second last chapter of Jude, uh, uh, verse of Jude, it's going to say, now unto him that is able to present you spot without spot and blemish. Blemish, yeah. 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 It's, it's absolutely all connected uh, uh, there. Sharon. Yeah, and I was just going to make add to the comment. Although it doesn't say in you know in the New Testament, like in, in Timothy, about the physical ailments of people, it does definitely have the list of you know qualifications that are more character based versus you know physical. But yeah, I love that that connection, Vita and David. Yeah, excellent, and just the concept that Christ is our righteousness, and we have one of our own. Awesome. So as we begin to have a look at our text a little bit closer, here we go. The Lord says to Moses. So the Lord doesn't speak to the priests or to Aaron directly in this case. He has done in the past, but for some reason he doesn't do now. And I don't know if we would 100% ever know the reason why. However, the Lord is going to be speaking to the priests and it comes through Moses, who has acted as high priest only for one week. Remember, he did everything at the beginning of Leviticus and then he stepped back. Aaron took on the role and Moses went on and played more prophet. Right, he became quite the prophetic proclaimer. So, speak and say to them, and we get no one is allowed to make himself unclean among the dead, and then there's a few exceptions to do with close relatives, and uh, so we begin to see that death is not allowed to stain the priesthood uh, of God. Why not? Because God is life, and those that represent Him must also represent the aspect of life and uh, this has a lot to do with um, uh, this visual image that you're not to look 
like other nations. You're not supposed to dress the same as them. You're supposed to eat the same as them. You're not supposed to have the same laws as them. Um, and, you, and, and you're not supposed to expand your borders like everybody else. And even to the, to the point of the, the religious ceremony in our, in, our, in our holy sanctuary, you don't even look like or behave like other priests either. And, uh, and so death cannot actually come close to these people. So... To add to that thought so is it safe to say sorry to catch you there but is it safe to say that it's the enemy of god in the sense that it's not even god what god created like god didn't create death it's the antithesis of god god is life right right yes 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 this is a this is not a reflection of the character of god and it's not and so the characters of the priests are meant to reflect the character of god and that includes our clergy so mordecai to this day you guys are not allowed to be in the same room as a dead body, correct? Yes, sir. Not allowed to be in the same same room, not allowed to go to a funeral, unless if hospital, your mother or father, you know, non-married sister, all this. This law is very, you know, like, like it's still applicable to Kohanim. And in fact, if you like get married with someone who is not qualified in this, especially in this chapter, so let's say she's Jewish, she got married, but she was married before she was like, she has kids. Then your son, of course, only the son gets to be a Kohen. So your son will be Jewish, but they will delete your name from the records. So you are a Kohen because you are a Kohen, but your son will not be called as Kohen. So it's very, very interesting that like, you know, when you talk about the book of Leviticus or the Torah, like how much, how much, of it still apply to a Jewish life, right? So you, in this chapter, this chapter applies 100%. They keep it a very good track. It happened to me. I think everyone remembers there was this lady I was dating before I came to Fed in Tel Aviv, and they didn't let me get married because they heard something about her background. So of course you can go and marry. Nobody can stop you from marrying her, but you got to pay the price. So no more cohens in your lineage. So it's over. And you cannot change it. You cannot say, oops, it was a like problem then it's okay no it's not okay so it's it's over here it's like this marriage is uh, uh, rabbi schnerson said something very interesting i don't know if i may i want to read it it's very applies to all of us he says obviously a marriage which has been prohibited by the creator and master of the universe is one that cannot possibly be a happy one and is certain to be a harmful to both parties concerned so when we talk about this, all homosexual marriages, they allow them, even though God forbidden it, and they think that they will be happy because they like each other. But as the Rebbe says, it's not good for both sides, and you cannot accept anything good out of something God and the creator of the world prohibited. And one more thing I would like to say, and then we, we need to leave because we have something to do, that here in this chapter, it says specifically that the Kohen should marry this lady, this lady should be like virgin, this, that, but never says that she needs to be Jewish. Never. Isn't that interesting? So like when it's addressed to other people, it says, oh, you think, don't take wives from this nation, that nation, but here, is she virgin? Yeah, okay. Well, you know, does anybody know the reason why? Reverend and I have an idea of it, well, because it was assumed already, right, uh, Mahdi? Like, you guys would never do that, period, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, kind of. 
Trevor, would you like to say that or should I go ahead and say? Go ahead, brother. You're on a roll. <laughs> we were like thinking about it, and Trevor reminded me how Moshe Rabbeinu took a wife, and Mer- Miriam and Aaron were unhappy, and we were like kind of joking. Like, can you imagine Moshe riding it? And she's standing by the tent and looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> so of course they joke, but here it's very like interesting and should be questions. I already asked the several rabbis and they had no answers. So like, how come that you are keeping the Kohen very holy by having all these like requirements for a possible wife, but she doesn't need to be a Jew? But, but also from the, from the from the book of from the book of Ruth, you can see. Uh, that connects in that too, in a sense. So, uh, Aaron, 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 here's a question I'm asking from, from because what Moti's been saying. Uh, the priest can have nothing to do with dead bodies, etc., 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 right? Now, if, if, if we follow through on this where we are today, how is it that the Lord, that the Yeshua, that Lord Jesus tells us that we are called to be a kingdom of priests? If everyone is a priest, right? How do we deal with this today? Well, that's a good question. And the same way that Israel dealt with it, they are all a kingdom of priests, yet they have um, priests and Levites. We're all a holy people in a kingdom of priests, yet Paul instructs us to appoint leaders. And uh, you go, hang on, if we're all equal, well, we're not all equal. That's the thing we all have to remember. We're all equal in the eyes of the Lord. Right, but I think the difference, you guys, is that they're servant leaders in the New Testament, like pastors, teachers that are created to equip the saints. So we're right. supposed to do all the legwork. Aaron, for example, say, or Madi, or say, you know, those guys, or Dave, when you were here, you know, we're supposed to do all the work in training us to do really the, you know, the, you know, evangelism and all of those things, right? So in a way, you guys are sort of shepherding the flock versus. There's, yeah. there too. And there's like one of the, one of the things that attracted me, um, this is a little personal, not that I do that too much, uh, to the diaconate is the bumper sticker of the diaconate. The, the, the bumper sticker line of the diaconate, deacons in the, in the church, is to promote the mission of the church amongst the laity. That's, that's my function. Out of anything that I'm supposed to do, one of the things I'm supposed to do is gather the laity and say, you and I, we have to go and do the work of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we've got these other guys who are supposed to shepherd us and keep, keep, keep the, uh, the doctrine pure. And if they don't, God will take care of them in a very special way and it won't be pleasant. But you and I, we got, we got a job. We have to go and visit the sick. We've got to go and comfort those who are mourning. We've got to go and preach the gospel. We've got to go and make disciples. And uh, we've got to bring people to our priests and say, hey, got a new one for the family. Okay, so let's, uh, let's welcome them into the, into the flock. All right, got a couple of hand raised. But first, we will go to Nigeria. Welcome back, Shimshon. Good to see you, mate. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, if I've not gone again. All right, good. Um, I want to <laughs> I want to just um, let's just oppose this um, Kohen and the priest um, with what Yeshua said in the in the book of Luke because when you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan Jesus talked about this um, scene where the priest and the Levite avoided to be contaminated you know people uh, you know many people read it but if you don't understand the background but 
The background Jesus was talking about is the contamination they were avoiding. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, praise the good Samaritan. Now we're looking at it from this context. Do you think that it is still necessary for the priests on what, on what grounds? Because this person is not related to them. Um, they, they, in, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the person is not related to them. So on what ground will they be able to respond to that kind of situation? Excellent question. So, so for, for those that might not understand what uh, Shimshon is saying, here we have a piece of halakha, a piece of, of teaching of God. This is how I expect my priests to behave. And there's this strong emphasis on no contamination with death and, and things like that. So this would be in, in relation to um, uh, uh, visiting a, a funeral. But um, what about extending it to not touching any form of death? And, uh, and so it creates a halakhic discussion. What do we do with if we're just wandering along and we see somebody who's, who's uh, sick and unwell. Um, halakhic discussions cover every facet of the Bible. For example, thou shalt not work on the Sabbath, but you'll make offerings in the temple on the Sabbath. Hang on. Somebody's actually cutting an animal open. Somebody's making fire on the altar. Somebody's pouring liquids. Somebody's cleaning skins. Hang on. This is work. Well, yeah, it is. So what trumps something else? So worship trumps this. And then acts of loving kindness trump this. So there were, there were uh, you create these halakhic discussions. And, and, and within, the, within the world of Jesus, there were, were these people who would say, no, I'm a priest, I'm not going to touch anybody. And there were other priests who would have said, no, come on, we actually have to help. And so Jesus comes along and he, cre- and he gives a good, clear halakhic ruling to say, you know, Go to the intention of this. What's the intention? What's the, what's the spirit of the Torah uh, that's coming here? Now, that doesn't mean that if we have a high priest and someone says, you know, can you come to my funeral? He says, actually, I can't. But if he, the high priest is walking down the road and he goes and assists somebody who's hurt, well, that's a different story. One is I can't because, you know, you've invited me to go to a funeral, but I can't. And the other is there's someone who's actually classically in need and I will go, go and help. Um, so something, uh, I think, a little uh, akin to that. I just wanted to bring um, a part of our discussion in verse 6. In discussion with our priesthoods and our shepherds, they are to be holy to God and they are not to profane the name of the Lord their God. Now, that's something that those who bear the name of God can do. And that... And this is where um, those that teach, says James, you know, really have a little bit more responsibility. I remember when I got, uh, was getting ordained, part of my ordination process uh, is you have a, a, a several days of discernment where you, know, you sit and you talk to your, your bishop, usually just before you get ordained. And um, my bishop happened to be um, the bishop of uh, Bolivia. And he looked at me and uh, he said, before you put this white collar on, I just want you to know that your sins are 10 times as worse as everybody else's. Yeah, what? He's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, somebody else can go and embezzle money, uh, but not you. Right? Somebody else can go and um, into those uh, sex shops, but, but not you. You know, when, when, you, when you do this, you're held up to a little bit of a, a higher account. You profane the name of God. Now, why? God himself gives this little reason why. Because they do something special. They offer God's food offerings, the bread 
of their God. What a what an interesting phrase that appears, the lechem Adonai, the bread of God. Right? Um, uh, God, in, in this chapter, he brings this idea that um, there's something special that these priests do. And he doesn't say because they offer the sacrifices. Out of all the things that are running around the temple, there's a lot of, lot of different incense, there's wine, there's libation offerings, there's grains and cakes and, and animals. It says bread. And because of this, they're holy. Okay, so bread becomes a very powerful symbol for the Jewish people. Okay, and in the absence of a sacrifice, what's super important for Jewish people? Bread. In the in the uh, when you went around the world, if you were nowhere near a temple, you couldn't offer a sacrifice. So when you came to Passover, you couldn't eat lamb. But what was important during Passover? Bread. So by the time of the Gospels, what does Jesus make reference to? Bread. Something very special about bread. And then, of course, you get this uh, long little list of who they're not allowed to marry. Okay. Um, and it's very interesting that uh, Mordecai brought up, we were discussing this. No, nothing here says that they have to be Jews. There is a slight hint. You could, you could switch it when, when, it, when it says that um, he has to take a, a virgin of his own people. Okay. Amor. That's it. But... In the, in the ancient world in Leviticus, the people of God are mixed at this stage. They're both, they're both Jews and, and uh, Gentiles. And then Moses' wife himself happens to be non-Jewish. Right? So uh, there is this very interesting mix, special type of lady that needs to be prepared for these, these guys. And... Um, but, but being Jewish isn't, isn't actually one of them. Um, very interesting. And, and Mordecai, you know, uh, bless his heart, he loves to go have a good halakhic discussion with some rabbis. And so he asked them, especially because we were studying this, because, you know, um, does she have to be Jewish? Text doesn't say, and no one could give him an answer. So there you go. He stumped them there for a little bit. Okay, hand raised by Vito or David. I'm, I'm curious. Uh... I, I, what what Marty has just said about uh, you know uh, the the Kohenim or the priest allowing being allowed to marry a, a non Jewish person, how do we then reconcile this or, or connect this to is it Ezra or Nehemiah when when they suddenly discovered that they would intermarried and they had to divorce and get rid of? Yep, it's on. Yeah, that's in Ezra. Yep. So in Ezra and Nehemiah, you get a very strong push against assimilation because levi can't marry a non-jew they've got to marry in the same tribe and the Kohenim are part of levi yeah they're both parts of the tribe of levi so he has to marry from his from within his, from his own tribe yeah but people can join tribes like if i if i uh convert to judaism back then which tribe do i join as a who knows, you know, it's not that Moses comes along and looks, ah, Zipporah, which tribe do you want to join? She would obviously say, <laughs> Well, your tribe, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's tribe number 13, the boy. <laughs> they, oh, uh, tribe number 13, uh, man alive. No, it's Britain. Come on, people, remember it's uh, the, the Britain, the the uh, the British uh, people of the covenant. Just um, kidding, please don't um, think I think that way. Just to put it in there, that um, they've been warned severally not to marry f- 
foreign women so that they don't get drawn out of um, the the cause of God. They're going to draw their, their heart away from worshiping God to their idols and all this. That's already shown in many places. Um, so most probably that's why in um, Israel it was very, very much emphasized and up to the point that they had to demarry those people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There was a strong, a very strong push. Now, when when people um, joined the people of Israel, they're and they're marrying in to the family. The the idea is not to entice Jews to come and follow them, but actually, as Ruth says, actually your people are my people, and and your God is my God. So I might be a Gentile marrying into the into the family, but I'm coming in and embracing the faith and traditions. And so uh, so while people might still call me a, a Gentile, and in the in, in the book of Ruth, even though modern exegetes will all say she converted. The book of Ruth continually calls her Moabite, even until the last chapter. Okay, so constantly says Ruth the Moabite, as opposed to now Ruth the proselyte, the Ruth the, the new Jewish girl. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Sharon, and then Kate. Yeah, this is interesting on a related subject, just with the whole girl thing and guy thing. Like they seem to be more relaxed in that day. I just recently read about you know David's kids there. You know, Amnon is that how you say his name? Uh, raping Tamar which is his Mm -hmm. stepsister Absalom's sister and then David letting it go it was kind of like a little phrase in that conversation and it's just the concept that you know in this day and age it's like you know the end of the world but I'm just saying women's Shimshon and I were having a discussion about this way back when I think at one point just the status of women and women and then Andrew had put a question in in, in the thing early on about women being in the priesthood and stuff and I don't, the status of women back then is so different than kind of in our modern society now. I don't know what the exact status was that, you know, they were, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. What were they? <laughs> what the status of women? Yeah, like it was sort of more lax. Maybe Namor, you guys know better than that, like some of the more Jewish background. They were mothers in Israel. Eh? They were modest. But incest, like technically, I would call that incest, right? If if Tamar is obviously, you know, being raped by her brother, let alone the fact that it's, you know, a crime right now. But it's like he was really angry, but he, he didn't discipline his kid. You know, like it's crazy. Right. Well, sacred history isn't um, a prophetic text in the effect that we read sacred history and then put that into practice. Rather, we read sacred history, which records that some of our heroes had faults. And David, he had his faults, right? He had just like... Right, but it also records like a cultural view is what I'm getting at. Yeah. Sure, of course it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, what you're saying, Sharon, is, um, is absolutely true. Um, it's not that David um, treated it with kid gloves. Of course, um, he couldn't um, go and kill his son, which could have been what should have happened there. But we saw that um, when um, um, Jacob's daughter was um, raped and um, the two sons of Jacob went to the old city and killed the old men the, in Shechem. So they still, they still see that as um, something that is uh, taboo, is bad. In fact, um, when Jacob was quiet about it, the sons said, well, should we keep quiet about it? You know, so they, they, it was seen as a taboo then and it's still seen as a taboo now. It's not that um, it degraded the women. Yep. And um, I'm going to bring up Andrew's question now um, as, uh, as uh, volatile as it might be in our, in our religious world. But Andrew asked a question a long time ago when we were discussing 
the you know this this idea of, of holiness, uh, priesthoods that is holy, how we should um, uh, to sort of require our priests to be holy. The verse eight says, "You will sanctify him." Okay, so there's a partnership that we have um, to uh, to keep our shepherds holy and not profaning the name of the Lord God. What about women? Because the text obviously is talking all about men. Uh, women excluded from the priesthood, and um, uh, is is what's written in the text still applicable to today? All right, perhaps this is a discussion that we can't answer explicitly, but let's give it a go. Why not? Women are unclean like most of the month or something. <laughs> uh, there is a, a, a small section of, uh, yes, the small uncleanliness issues there where um, if, uh, if we do have women as priests, then obviously they're not going to be working for about half the month. Yeah. But that is not five, five to seven days, guys. Right. Something like that. Okay. Um, who would like to go first to tackle this? This, this issue. Who's brave? All right, here we go. Vida. Yes, Aaron. I, I actually do think that, if, from my perspective, um, if you look back 100 years, there were very, very, there were hardly any women Christian priests, really, 100 years or so ago. And then our society started making it, oh, and using Bible verses to justify for women to be priests and to come into the priesthood. And I feel that the same way now that the, the Christian community is against gay people being part of the priesthood, 100 years from now, if, some, if the law does tarries, we will see that that will become the norm again. And I think personally my own view is a woman does need a head. And I'm not saying a woman should. If I, was, if I felt the Lord calling me to a priesthood, I really would be seeking the Lord very, very carefully to make sure it's not my own heart and it's not my own view because biblically it doesn't seem 100% right. Yep. Uh, thank you very much, Vida. The, when, we, when we discuss this issue, it's, you, there's not going to be a verse that someone can turn around to and go, aha, we can now have women priests. This is actually always going to be a theological, cultural construct. And, uh, and, it, and it becomes incredibly tense, has divided a lot of the household of faith and, um, and, and, and discourses all kinds of issues. Um, but it is worth always to discuss and I really appreciate um, your comments, Vida. Um, it is true. This is actually what I'm about to say. Out of anything you've heard tonight, here's the thing that, that's, that's actually a fact, and this is actually a cultural fact. Churches that ordain women eventually ordain gays. Okay? That's, not to say, that's not to say that they are going to, yeah. but it's churches and denominations that do not Let's just, I'm just going to jump in for a second, story, Vita, for one second, because let's pull it back to scripture, right? And just go from a scriptural basis, right? So, for example, sure. Huldah in the Old Testament is a prophetess, right? So, there's yes. scriptural examples. And so, if you read this one second, Second Kings 20, uh, 22, verse 14, uh, and blah, 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 okay, there's 
so Hil Hilkiah the priest, da da da, uh, went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. And then she gives like a fairly sizable um, uh, prophecy yeah. to this king at the time. So my question is, if I want to be a prophetess. I would love that job. That'd be fun. What do I have to do? Where do I go to prophetess school? That would be awesome. To be allowed to have the words of God. <laughs> one second, Vita. <laughs> so, and okay, but there's more than one. But I'll start with that. Okay. When when starting with that though, Sharon, are you are you saying that because we have female prophets, we can have female priests? Is that what you're saying? I'm asking and saying, making the point number one that there's a there's a precedent in Scripture that there has been prophet prophetesses even in the, right. in the new testament but that's not the issue are prophets the same as priests no 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 no, no. no i'm not saying they are but it's right. so because they're not we can't use the example of female prophets to say that now we can have female priests no no okay. but i'm on a new topic am i allowed well, let's finish with the old one. <laughs> well, there's no female priest. There's nothing to be talking about. No, 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 no. Guys, we have female priests in our day. Let's not deny that there aren't. There are. And no, some, of them, some, of them, no. right, some of them have, uh, I've worked with a few, and you go, wow, you know, they're pretty good. And I have to, will admit, I've also worked with a few female priests that just all I want to do I won't tell you what I will do because there's women. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the same can be said of men, Aaron. Same yeah, thing. No, absolutely. Character. Character. Yeah, no, um, and Sharon, there, there's, there's room for, for women to serve God. Um, but when it comes to the temple, there was no room for women in the priesthood. It doesn't right. mean that they, didn't, they couldn't function in any other place. I mean, um, uh, Miriam, Miriam, the sister of Aaron, was a prophetess. I mean, right from the beginning, she we've always had the prophetess. We have Deborah. Deborah was a was a judge in Israel, and also also doubles as a prophet. So, how do you get the job of prophetess? Well, that's another story. That's a completely different issue. Okay, what we're what we're dealing here with is the issue of the priesthood, and I just and, jump, Aaron. Sorry, Chinchot. The reason why I make that statement is because the Bible says clearly and that it was the woman that was first deceived. And a lot of deception is crept in the churches. And if you really look at the amount of woman priests in the churches these days, I'm not a, I, I don't take a specific view. I just say if I was felt called, I would really seek the Lord because I don't think it's absolutely, it's biblical. So the woman, I know a woman is prone to be deceived more than the man. She was first deceived. Not that a man can't be deceived, but a lot of this liberal false doctrine coming into the church is because, the, I believe, a lot of the women has influenced the church that way. Can I, can I ask a, a controversial question in relation wait, wait, to... Wait, wait, just for one second, David. Can I just follow up with Vita's comment? <laughs> this is fun. Okay, so Isaiah 3.12, right? As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your past. That would be another tribute to that concept. I don't think women are more easily deceived than men. Mm, I don't know about that. But, I mean, it happened with Adam and Eve and she's more justified. Good heaven, she was deceived. Adam willfully disobeyed. He should definitely have been spanked. Well, let's 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 be also biblical 
Paul in Corinthians as subscribes death entering the world through Adam. Okay. And so let's, let's, so we actually, they actually take Eve out. He takes Eve out of the picture, just as you were suggesting, Sharon, that um, Eve is deceived and, and Adam was, was quite willful. That whole scenario that it seems to imply that Adam's quite close to the deception too. Um, but what we're talking about here is the issue of a holy priesthood. What, what is it that reflects God, the nature of God? So death can't enter his presence. The, the married, the marriage that, that goes to the priest has to be a particular type because God is marrying his people. I and mean, what sort of wife does God want to have? It's going to be reflected in the nature uh, of, of priests, and which could be Jews or Gentiles. That's a, an interesting little little thought uh little thought there um and then when it comes to if you're going to have a priesthood who reflects the fatherness of the lord um it's not always easy to be done by a lady okay yvonne yeah i was just gonna mention something you know with adam and eve when adam ate of the fruit when eve ate of the fruit nothing happened it's actually after adam ate that Right. Then you have all of the uh, uh, right, and uh, there's a uh, the like. I happen to be one of those old school guys that thinks that Adam and Eve are actually real people. Uh, there are going to be quite a few people who would disagree. Yeah. With and think that the whole thing is just a pictorial. Yes, so just a pictorial image, um, and that's and that's fine. It's not something that you you know get into heaven believing that Adam was actually real or not. Okay, that's not what. What makes you a, a follower of the Messiah? But um, but uh, yes, there is this this uh, interesting way that the text is written that death enters after Adam. Okay, uh, uh, does does his his sin? Okay, let's let's take it back to um, the idea of a of a holy priesthood. So, in the last fifteen minutes or so, how do we, as a community, keep our shepherds holy. We don't want our pastors to be unholy. Anyone here want their shepherds to be, you know, dirty, rotten scoundrels? No, none of us. None of us want to say, oh, I can't wait to join a church where the priest, you know, is, you know, absolutely addicted to porn, drinks like a fish, smokes like a chimney, uh, you know, children, you know, they're all in jail. And he's on to his sixth wife and he's actually living with the seventh one, not actually married. None of us would go, yeah, I think I'll go to that church. Uh, yeah, that happened to our church, but not to that extent. Oh, of <laughs> but um, but uh, there was an adultery issue and, and um, it was shocking to the whole church because he seemed so pious and knew so much of the word. But I think one, one particular um issue with our church that he was kind of just he was the pastor and there was not a community there was there were not deacons and uh he he was basically the the, just the lead and and no um no structure and no accountability it's just one church would you know become an you know baptist church would become another independent baptist church but there was no accountability and i think the question, Erin, is that one way is we don't want our leaders to be like that. It's it's devastating to a church. And of course, we're all sinners. And I think accountability is the key. Having 
um, you know, spiritual uh, leaders and deacons um, that are going to, you know, have that accountability and, and the communities. It's very important. So when, when you, when you use the word deacon, do you mean in the hierarchical structure? Like there's like people, or do you yeah, mean, I mean different like, types of clergy? Yeah, maybe different types of, I just different. I think it needs to be shared. You have, of course you have the, you know, you have the pastor, but uh, the shepherd, but you, you do need to have people around the shepherd that, that, that hold each other accountable in love. It really, uh, and we know that the you know the the higher or the more responsibility, also the greater I believe the greater challenge. The enemy comes, comes in and tries to destroy them. Yeah, you have a community where whatever the name you want to give it, that where there's leaders that are being held accountable to other leaders. I think it's so healthy instead of having a, a very hierarchical structure and that you know the person on the top, the shepherd is like untouchable, and and that can cause all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. All right. So accountability, how do we, so the discussion is how do we keep our leaders holy? How do we keep them upright? Accountability, shared leadership. So there's not just the one guy, there's a, um, not a, not a plurality, but a plethora of people around. Okay. It's not just this one guy. Um, there's a, so there's people around the shepherd that can, uh, can keep, keep an eye on him. Uh, any other suggestions? How do we, guys? How do we? Because we want to have a we want to have a holy community. We want to be a holy people. And one of the ways to to be a holy people is look at your leadership. Okay, what is your leadership? Isn't it based, isn't it based on truth? We have to we have to base everything on truth. Sure. What do you mean by that? Cliff? Well, if if what we if the way that we're behaving is true to the word of the Lord, if the way that we are acting is true to our faith and the way that we're acting is true to what the lord tells us in scripture the these are the truth the the, he is the way and the truth and that's really how i i mean i'm not perfect by any chance but that's why how i have to try and live because i'm I'm not sophisticated enough to be able to understand all of these the scriptures i haven't learned them yet but that's how I've lived. And, and, you know, what God tells us is the way, the way that we should follow. And we shouldn't doubt. We shouldn't say, should it be man or woman? Does God say that women can be priests somewhere? I, d- I don't know. We're different. I don't know. The, the, the New Testament does say, describe women as diakonos, deacons. Beacons. Which, we have beacons, yeah. Correct, and so there are, particularly in the, in some traditional churches, they will ordain women to the diaconate, and they will actually use scriptures to actually prove that. They say, look, no, we've got the women there. Sometimes our English translations will just translate that word as servant because that's actually what it does literally mean. Is it because they have a gift? You see, we we are giving we have gifts. God gives us all gifts for for reasons that we don't know. And I like to always think that if if a woman is, has been has become a deacon, it's because she has some gifts that she needs to pass on. I mean, it's like you, yours is teaching. I think. Well, we don't know, but we we enjoy your teaching, and mine is asking questions. So. <laughs> let's, and, let's, um, what's interesting in the new testament is most of the prophets in the new testament are all female 
Oh, well, there you are. They're looking, aren't they? Yeah. Looking. Jesus, when a baby meets Anna, and Philip's got seven daughters who are all prophets. Yeah. There's you actually once you get into the into the actual, you know, who's actually a prophet? They're all women. But um, so then the question goes, oh my gosh, can New Testament men be prophets? You know, it's very hard. And is that because women women have got perception? They might not be. They might have different things, but they might be able to see. This is a gift that women have that men sure. can overlook. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's more of a thing that you receive from God. I think AK versus having your own personal. Yes. Know, personal let's yeah. let's try and bring it back to how do we how do we keep our shepherds accountable, holy? Because we're supposed to sanctify them, right? That's what the text says. How do we, as a community, as a holy people of God, how do we help, assist, bless, persevere with, journey with, making our clergy. Uh, holy before the Lord, and that actually can reflect his character. So, David Orbida. Uh, naturally, you have to have elders. You have to have bishop for a bishop. You have to have a priest for a priest. And and but don't forget, we also need the laity to keep 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 the priesthood or, or the leadership in line. But but I, I would suggest that it, it's all very well saying this. But how how do you go about this? How do you define it? It's all very well saying, I need an elder to keep me in a line. I would suggest that we, we use this wonderful term, uh, spiritual formation. Okay, so what does that mean? It means, as, as somebody's already said, staying in line with the word of God. When you stand up and you preach, do not exceed the bounds of the Bible, right? What is written in the text we preach, or you, you guys preach, right? And uh, do not exceed that. And your spiritual formation is, what is your prayer life? How are you walking? What is your reading life? How many? How much are you devoting? Do you get up in the morning and set the whole day aside by spending some time with the Lord and prepping your day? This all is formation for you to make sure uh, for, for the priests, the deacons, the bishops, etc., to make sure that you are standing in power with what the Lord wants you to do. At the same time, the laity you are accountable to the laity. Uh, first of all, you're accountable to the Lord God for the laity. So when, when, you, when you are speaking the word and they are not receiving it or they are receiving it, that's, that's up to you. That's all part of this, 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 this keeping you in, in, what's the word we're looking for? In, in holiness. It, it, it's all. It's, and it, it's. But it's but and it also goes down to prayer. It goes down to all these things. I would you know it's it's easy to say as I said from the beginning. Oh, I, I need uh, I need elders. I need extra deacons. I need bishops. I need to to keep me in line. To keep me in check. Who is the person that keeps me in check? But how do you go about that? I think would be a, a nicer question. Yeah, very very true. Um, the the structure of the church in the New Testament has the elders. And the pastor reports to the elders. Um, but we've kind of flipped it um, in our modern world. And um, so we have the pastor being in charge of everything. So if there's an error, there's nobody that can correct him uh, without a confrontation, you know. But if it's uh, according to the New Testament structure, then he knows that there, is a, uh, there, is, there are people that are watching him and that that helps him to put in order. I mean, we are not perfect. And if we continue to allow that um, freedom, we'll continue to drift away. And that is the reason for the elders. Yeah, uh, thanks for that, Shimshon. I remember when I was first uh, uh, doing some studies, uh, uh, 
in the in the ordination track. I was looking at hierarchy and and how does this all work. And uh, so I'm, I'm here. I'm speaking as an Anglican, and that's okay if nobody else is. Um, and there's this thing called a vestry. Anyone ever, ever heard of that? That's not the, the the building at the back. You know that we call the vestry where they all hang their robes up. It's actually a group of people. And um, and as Shimshon is saying, they're actually in charge of the church. And uh, and the priest he doesn't rule the vestry. See, the vestry keeps an eye on what the priests are doing. And he's part of the vestry. So, but we've flipped it around where, where we actually have made um, um, shepherds a little bit more than, than perhaps they're probably supposed to. In the New Testament, what we find is we don't find rabbis in charge of synagogues. They're just called the elders. And, uh, and in modern day, okay, this is a, a modern day event here in, um, in Israel. In a, in, a, in a synagogue, you have a rabbi, but you actually have a thing called the president of the synagogue, and he's actually the one in charge. And you ready for this? Nine times out of ten, the president of the synagogue's actually secular. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> it's because he's the guy with all the money. So uh, I know that I know sounds a little weird, but uh, I, 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 just so you know, I actually spoke about this with Mordecai yesterday. I said, hey. When we're talking about synagogues, who's actually in charge? And he said, oh, the president. And don't worry, he doesn't believe in nothing. Um, the president is, is, is mainly in charge of the financial? Yeah, he owns, he owns everything. So he, 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 the president of the synagogue can go to a rabbi. This is a secular guy. He can actually go to the religious guy and actually say, um, next year, that's the end of your contract. Wow. Okay. Um, now, no, I'm not, no, but don't say that I'm advocating this is the way it should be. What I'm saying is that they've inherited a tradition of elders rabbi, okay? And, um, and sometimes in the, in the church we have flipped it around and we've made senior pastor in charge of absolutely everything and we've forgotten that as shepherds our job is to wash feet. Our mm-hmm. job is to serve. We're not the, the, this is one of the reasons why we actually really do actually have to promote the mission of the church amongst the laity. For those who are actually going to be on the vestry, it's an incredibly re- responsive role. It really is. And we would, we should all wish to have very good vestries with people who are gifted, who know finances, who know how to take care of all that, that kind of stuff, uh, and, uh, and shepherds who are holy and actually teaching right and actually modelling the, um, the life of God. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things we didn't discuss but, but is... Um, the priest can't marry a divorced woman. It's not that someone divorced, it's, you know, oh, my gosh, it's evil, it's horrible. It's rather that this is actually reflecting something that didn't work, right? Okay? And, um, and but in God's economy, when God, everything God does works. So it has to always be working um, and, and has to present to the world this, this, uh, this, this thing. So... Uh, yeah, Aaron, regarding the financial, it's interesting that who, who held the money bags with the disciples? It was Judas. <laughs> yes, he was like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, good one. He was just a religious guy then, you guys, eh? So he was not a quote-unquote believer. Is that the idea? Who are you talking about? Judas, sorry, on that topic. Well, he, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say what what faith he did or did not have. I think he was. Inclination of his party. Right. Um, we, we know him as, as betrayer, which is unfortunate. Also unfortunate, we kind of needed one. It's 
strange, but perhaps mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't go into that. Yeah, right. When we go into that discussion per se, let's let's keep an eye on our priests and holiness as we wrap it up. There's a couple of hands raised. Uh, both happen to be in sunny England. So, Vida or David? Aaron, I was just going to say we're talking about this, but this many times, let's say, a priest is falling into sin or something. If, and, and they may have all of this, um, and I love what um, Shimshon said about having the, the priest reporting up to the elders. I think that's a very sensible biblical approach. It makes sense. Yeah. But if the priest is not open, if the priest is not talking about it, they're never going to know. So ultimately, it comes down to the priest being able to continue to have his relationship with God personally. Mm. Because what happens, I find, what I find, what I notice is many pastors are so busy doing, 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 that the job, and because they're doing the Lord's work, they think they are walking with God because they're doing God's work. But ultimately they're doing, let me put it this way, a job, and their relationship with God is, waning and they fall into sin so it, it's important for pastors deacons and um, all the people in the in, in positions to be able to be given time to go and be with the lord to to get away from that job because if their relationship with god their personal relationship with god is 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 dissipating is reducing their walk is going to they can sound as spiritual they can talk the talk but it's that personal relationship that really will keep them. When the Holy Spirit points something out to them personally and convicts them, that's what they need, what people need in the church. And that's my, my view. Yep. No, thank you very much. I like the idea. Personal relationship, you know, and, and while we all have them, it's great. And it's one of those things. If you happen to be a shepherd, you really want to have a personal relationship with the Lord. And I like this idea of making sure that our priests and, and our shepherds keep that relationship up. So if they can have a good relationship with the good shepherd, there's, there's a, a, a better chance of them reflecting the good shepherd to us. Okay, so um, one of our final comments, London, Teresa. Oh, goodness. I don't know that it's worthy of that being the final <laughs> comment, but I just wanted to, um, yeah, I agree with BJ and what she's saying in terms of prayer life and um, how we walk with the Lord. But on a very, very practical you know, way of looking at it, um, when you, I think I know what you mean by the vestry idea, Aaron, because I think we have something a bit like it over here. But, you know, in practical terms, sometimes people don't have the courage to hold their leader accountable. And that is where a lot of the problems can arise because things are allowed to go, uh, you know, to continue without... Um, without people having the guts, basically, if I put it colloquially, the guts to deal with it or to raise it. And that that isn't a little problem. I think, you know, you come across that kind of attitude in all walks of life, and it certainly it can be in the church too. So. Yeah. No, and then it becomes like power building and empire building too. It can de- denigrate into power and, oh, yeah. just sticks. But the problem with our church today, and, and this this is a real problem, is that we do not have the numbers of deacons, priests, etc., in a single place. And so if you have a priest or a pastor who's doing all of this and trying to handle it all by himself or herself, yes, there's a problem here. So uh, there has to be a way that he can reach to certain people in the laity or his family 
or something like that to, to keep the person uh, on track, etc. So uh, uh, th- it's just a thought, you know. No, it's a great thought. We we one of the one of the enemy's weapons is just to keep our our shepherds too busy, and we do. I think I, I will always advocate for more deacons. Those uh, that that know me think that the diaconate is a uh, fantastic vocation, and um, there's a there's a so much that a, a good deacon can do to support the local priests and support the community. Um, and take the pressure off uh, of these guys, um, and 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 I think uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, Teresa. Sometimes we lack courage to be able to to confront. Um, that doesn't seem to be in short supply here in Israel. Uh, Israelis have a tendency to be able to tell everybody that they're wrong, um, including God. Okay, uh, but uh, but so anyway, we but other other cultures might might have um, a bit more. Um, politeness built in to uh, to feel that we can we're not confrontational, but um, we are encouraged and actually admonished by this chapter that as a holy people we have this job function in our community. These shepherds and these shepherds are called. They also get the calling. We all have a calling. They have a particular calling, and um, God makes them holy. He then asks us to participate in keeping them holy. Their job is to reflect the holiness of the divine back to the community. And uh, this whole aspect is to reflect um, to reflect all aspects of the character of God. And uh, that includes the way he marries the church. That's clean, spotless, and, uh, and unblemished. Uh, that includes the way that he keeps a, a holy presence in and amongst our holy people. That's actually being able to shed some light into a very dark world. Um, and uh, so all of those aspects. But we have a responsibility. So let's make sure that we pray for our shepherds. Let's make sure that uh, we bless them. We make sure we, we want God's protection on their families, um, particularly against any of the schemes and the lies of the enemy. And may the Lord make some more for us. Right? Aaron, may I ask a question? I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, here's a question that's been bugging me through this whole, not bugging me, that's going through my mind through this whole study tonight, is I, I wonder if, 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 if we are dealing with the idea of being called correctly, the idea of calling. Some are called to be prophets, teachers, etc. right? So there, sh- there should be space in the church somewhere to help people who think they're being called or maybe not being called, etc., etc., etc. Because sometimes it, it's possible that people will be going in the direction maybe they shouldn't be going. Yeah, and then we need to challenge them and call them back. There, uh, you know, there's. It's one again. Silence can't be can't be affirmation. We need to all speak in truth and love, but we need to speak. And uh, maybe we all have the courage for that. Okay, guys, thank you very much for a fantastic discussion. Um, pray for your priests. Pray for your shepherds. Pray for your deacons. Pray that God will make more, and uh, may the kingdom of heaven uh, forcefully advance in all holiness. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, 
please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.